Today, we're going to dedicate our television program to the memory of Sarah McDougall, who died New Year's Day in my old hometown of Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. And we want to say to the family members today, uh, Graeme and their other friends and loved ones, our deepest sympathies. And we are buoyed up by the blessed hope of our Lord's return, the resurrection of the dead. This is the first Sabbath of the new year, 2002. And I want to wish every person who is watching our telecast today and to the members of my congregation a very blessed and a very happy new year, my dear friends. Also today, I want to send greetings to the people who are watching our program in Saudi Arabia. And uh, I'll be talking about this a little later on in the program, but we are glad that you are watching our program in Saudi Arabia. And we will send you the material on Jesus that you have requested. Would you please now welcome my wife, Beverly. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. 2002, where did the last 2,000 years go? <laughs> and what will this year hold for us? We'll have happy, good days, and we know how to enjoy those. But we'll also have days when we feel as if we're in the bottom of a well or a pit with no way out. And that reminds me of the story of a mule who fell into a well. Now the farmer who owned him was a poor farmer, and as he stood there listening to the poor old mule braying and crying out for help, he thought, I can't afford to get some machinery in here to get him out. So he called a couple of friends over quickly to bring their shovels, and when they got there he said, I've got to shovel dirt down into the well to kill the old mule and then to cover him up. Well, when the mule heard that, he went into hysterics. Wouldn't you go into hysterics in that situation? And then a light went on in his head, and he thought, I know what I'll do. When each shovel full of dirt hits my back, I'll just shake it off and step up. What did he decide to do? Shake it off and step up. And that's what he did. And of course, as he was shaking and stepping, his brain stopped, and the farmer up on top, he said, oh, the poor old fellow's dead, but we'll just keep shoveling on the dirt to cover him up. But imagine the farmer's surprise when a little while later, up came the mule, and he stepped up over the top of the well and out. Now he looked dirty, and he felt exhausted, but he was alive, because he didn't give in to panic, or self-pity. Instead of allowing the dirt to bury him, the mule used each shovel full of dirt as a stepping stone. And as each clot of adversity hits us, we can use God's promises as stepping stones to get out of the well of darkness. For example, like one of my favorite verses found in Lamentations. Now, if you're a new Christian, you might say, what good can come out of the book of Lamentations? Isn't it lament about sin and God's judgments? That's true. But there's a wonderful promise there in chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The steadfast love of the Lord never stops. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. What a promise. Think about it for a moment. God's love never stops. His mercy never stops. And his faithfulness never stops. His gifts of love, mercy, and faithfulness are new every morning. Like millions of others, I can testify to his faithfulness. For the last nine years, I've had a serious health problem. 
which almost daily has made me feel like I'm in a well. But God, even though he hasn't pulled me out in a physical sense, he has daily kept me by his promises. And I have truly found his promises to be new and sure every morning. And so as we enter this new year of uncertainty, we don't enter alone. And as long as we trust in his love, his mercy, and his faithfulness, we are assured of a secure and blessed 2002. Happy New Year. One of the most oppressive countries in the world is Saudi Arabia. I have a letter from Saudi Arabia from a person who has been watching our television program, from a follower of the prophet Muhammad. Virtually no Muslim country knows what freedom is about. Now, I don't say that just casually because I've been to all, well, not to all of them, but I've been to Iran and Iraq and Kuwait and uh, Syria and all of those places. Some are better than others. Jordan and Egypt are the best. But none of those folks have religious freedoms like we have in the Western world. Now, of course, America is not the only country in the world that has religious freedom. There are other countries too. But when you look at a map of the world, the vast majority of places in the world don't have religious freedom. And they don't have political freedom. They don't know what these things mean. They don't have it in any of the Muslim countries. Now, why does America have religious freedom? Why does it have political freedom? Because of the heritage we have from the Puritan fathers. That's the reason. The Pilgrim Fathers. The people who came to this country came because they, they had been persecuted in the old world in England and in Europe. And they came to this place because they wanted to worship God. They did not believe in the union of church and state. We don't owe our greatness to the teachings of the prophet Muhammad. We owe the greatness of America to the teachings of Jesus. Amen. So I was somewhat amazed the other day. You know, we talk faith and when amazing things happen, we say, isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, I guess it is amazing because I've got a letter here from Saudi Arabia and I've got to deal with this carefully because this program is going to be seen in Saudi Arabia. Out of the person's name was uh, mentioned on television, he would most likely be put to death. And so you've got to be very, very careful. There's his name and he teaches and it gives the name in Arabic of the school where he teaches. And uh, it starts off, USA, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, Mr. John Carter. You notice in those countries, they do it all around differently. You know why? Because the individual is not important. The state is important. So whenever you get a letter from even Russia or from these countries, you have the country first and the person last. But the state is not the master. The state is the servant of the individual. The U.S. government is not the most important thing in the world. The U.S. people. That's what, that's what counts. The rights of the individual. And the state is there to protect the rights of the individual. Dear sir, thank you for your successful programs on the screen of the 3ABN, which I am one of their constant viewers. I am a Muslim and very much interested in Christianity. But my problem is I don't have access to Christian references here in the Middle East. 
How many churches, Christian churches, are in Saudi Arabia? None. If you as a foreigner go to Saudi Arabia, you can't even read your Bible. If you're caught reading your Bible, you go to jail. He says, I don't have access to Christian references here in the Middle East. Could you help me? Send me whatever you have, any literature about Christianity. I want to know very much about Christianity, literature, audio, videotapes. I'm looking forward to having your ministry. Please, your correspondence is to be on the following address. And he gives the address, and in so doing, he puts his life at risk. You know, Jesus said, this gospel, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end is going to come. People said it could never be preached in Russia. Now it's history. People are saying it can't be preached in China. It's going to happen. And people have said it could never, never, never be preached in Saudi Arabia or any of these other totalitarian regimes that do not believe in freedom. It is happening today. And this church and this ministry is a part of it. As we sit here today and televise this church service, my friends, we are a part of something far bigger than any of us can comprehend. I could not be bothered in going to a church where people simply go to church. Couldn't be bothered. You know why? It's not Christianity. Christianity is a dynamic force that moves out into the world to preach the gospel. And today, in spite of the intolerant regime that rules the corrupt, intolerant regime that rules the people in Saudi Arabia, the gospel is being preached. And glory be to God, we're a part of it. Can you say amen to that? Amen and amen. Would you please welcome my six little helpers? Come on, sweetie. All up. Come up. All of you. Okay. Okay, sweetie. Okay. Adam, what do you mean by wearing a blue shirt and a red tie? and a double-breasted suit. <laughs> Have you got your eye on my job? <laughs> Is this what you're trying to do? Is this a coup? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you all gotta get in a straight line over here. What pretty dresses. Aren't they pretty dresses? Now, the first person today is Kendall Eberhardt. And she's going to read a text, or she's going to say a text out of the Bible. And she's going to read Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And Greg, don't burst with pride. Just take it easy. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Kendall, sweetie. There is. There is. Therefore. Therefore. No condemnation. No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good. Excellent. Very good. Now, the man who wishes to be the pastor of the church with a blue shirt, a red tie, and a double-breasted suit, is Adam Leon. And we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Good boy. Good. 
good. Boy, that's a nice looking dress there. Did your mummy make that dress? She bought it. She bought it. Now, this is Megan Martin. Thank you, Megan. What then shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Very good. Aren't they all good? Now we come to Emil. That's a nice looking tie there, Emil. It's a really nice looking tie. You ready? Just a moment. Ready. Romans 8. Verse 32 and 33. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Good boy. That's really good. Why, that's a swell-looking dress, too. Where do you get dresses like that? I wonder if I could get a dress like that. Pretty nice sort of dress. Justine Souser. Romans 8.35. Who will, who will separate the love of... Separate us. Separate us of... From. From love... Of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword danger or sword good girl excellent very good who will separate us from the love of Christ and Lilani Molina hello Lilani that's a great dress you got too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, 37 to 39. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very good. Now, just stay here for a moment. And when we finish this, we should say, Amen. And Amen. All right, together, Amen. Amen. And Amen. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. You are all wonderful. Wonderful. Would you like to go and sit down now? Thank you. You are all wonderful. I want to tell you the story of a man with a troubled past. A man who was depressed, walking in darkness, surrounded by thick clouds. Have you ever felt like that? A man with a guilty conscience and who was wondering, what does the future hold? We stand today at the door of the new year. Many people are anxiously asking the question, what does the future hold? The story of this man is found in the first book of Moses, the book of Genesis. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 32, and verse 24, Genesis 32 and 24. Genesis 32 and verse 24. Genesis 32, verse 24. We're going to notice the story of this lonely man. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The man we're going to talk about today is Jacob, who on this occasion was left alone and who was feeling utterly and completely forsaken. 
I saw a documentary on the History Channel about a man, a doctor, completely innocent, who was falsely accused of murdering Abraham Lincoln. It was a mistrial. He was sent to some little island out there in the ocean. And there he was bereft of friends, his wife and children, utterly alone. It's an awful feeling, is it not, to be all alone? I can think of today John the Baptist in the prison cell, wondering if he had been perhaps pursuing a wrong course. He sent a message, are you the one who was to come? Should we look for somebody else? Very much alone. And then of course, we could not fail to mention today our blessed Lord Jesus when he hung on the cross because he felt very, very much alone. But we think back to the text and we think of Jacob and we ask the question, what had brought him to this place where he was completely alone? He felt completely alone and forsaken by God and by man. And the answer is plain, his sin. His sin. Jacob, many years before, had deceived his father, Isaac, and he had swindled his brother Esau of the birthright. You know what the word Jacob means, don't you? It means a heel. I don't know whether you use this expression in America. We do so in England and Australia. If a person is a cad or a low person, you say, he's a heel. This comes from the days of Jacob because when he was born, the Bible says, as he came forth from his mother, he grasped his brother's heel. Thus he was called the heel. And he was. Because he had deceived his father and swindled his brother, he had been forced to go into exile. And while he was in exile, he was lied to, he was deceived, and he was swindled. Let every liar and cheat, every heel understand what you do, what we do, comes back to us with measure. It works this way. And you don't have to wait until the next life. You don't have to wait till judgment day. It happens in this lifetime. And so here is a man who is an out and out sinner. And now because of his sin, he is left alone because his brother is coming and his brother Esau is mighty mad. And he's coming with 400 men. And Jacob is left alone beside the brook and he is facing the judgment. He is alone. Now would you read verses 24 and onwards of the book of Genesis. Let us pick up the story. Genesis 32. Notice verse 24 again. So Jacob was left alone because of his sin. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. As he is there alone in his despair and praying, a mighty assailant comes upon him and they fall to the ground and they wrestle. And they fight, they wrestle, roll across the ground until the sun is coming up. Who was this mighty assailant? Was it Esau? No, no, no. Who was this man who reached out his finger and touched him so that his hip came out of joint? Who was he? This was the Lord. This was El Shaddai, 
your mighty God. I scarce ventured to say the words. This was Yahweh Elohim who had taken the form of a man to wrestle with the sinner. Think about it. Almighty God is wrestling with animated mud on its way to dust. He's wrestling with a worm. But he cannot destroy him. You know why? He cannot destroy this worm, this man who has an awful past. He cannot destroy him. Why? Before we answer that question, I would like to point out to each of you today that wrestling is a part of the process in coming to God. If you have never wrestled with a man in the darkness of your despair, then the odds are you've never come to God. We live in a time of the most exceeding superficiality as far as Christianity is concerned. And he who has never wrestled has never found God. Martin Luther wrestled with God for years. When he read the Bible, he read about God's righteousness. And when the priest said to him, let me hear your confession, he said, it is no good my confessing my sin because I have committed the unpardonable sin. And the old priest said to him, that is for God to judge my son. And Luther said logically, but he has judged me already. I am a sinner and he is righteous. His very righteousness condemns me. And for years he wrestled in depression because he knew that he was a born sinner. How many today wrestle with God? I would think very few. And that is why we have a Christianity which is a mile wide and half an inch deep. The great saints of the church have wrestled with God. And after years of wrestling with God, Martin Luther came through the study of the book of Romans to understand that when the Bible talks about the righteousness of God as far as salvation is concerned, it is the righteousness that does not condemn, but the righteousness that is given to us as a free gift. And thus on one occasion, Martin Luther was found by the same priest in the monastery, kneeling before a crucifix and crying out, for me, for me, for me, for me. I say, the best of God's children have gone through nights of despair. This is called in scripture, repentance. When the young man, the prodigal, comes to himself and says, I'm not worthy to go home, but I will because the Father may accept me. Read on if you don't mind in Genesis 32. Back to the story. Genesis 32. Verse 25, when the man, that is the Lord God, saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, let me go, for his daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. I want you to think very carefully about these words. Why did God not destroy him? Because he was a heel. He was a sinner. 
It is for the same reason that God does not destroy us. It is because of divine grace. Because of the amazing grace that is found in God's heart. And because this man throws himself upon the mercy of God, nothing can touch him. You think of this. Even almighty God, the righteous God of the judgment, cannot, will not reach out his hand to touch this sinner, this heel, because this man claims the mercy of God. So if there is anything that teaches us today how salvation comes, it is this story. It does not come through the act of wrestling, but it comes from the mercy that proceeds from the Father's heart. It is grace upon grace upon grace. When I was studying this last night, I thought many of us sometimes in our spiritual conflicts argue and talk back to God. I think it's all right to argue with God if you do so in repentance and humility because Jacob argued with God. Jacob, one could say, had the audacity to say to Almighty God as he held on to God, I won't let you go. God could have wiped him out. But because of grace, God forgave him, even though he argued. Here we have animated mud on the way to dust, arguing with God. And then God says to him, what is your name? Ah, we lose the sense in the English translation. What is your name? He says to this man who is holding on. Jacob says, deceiver. Deceiver, I'm a heel, I'm a liar, I am a cheat. My friend, none of us will ever get to the kingdom of God unless we go through the gate of repentance. Deceiver, the hardest thing to do is to confess our sins and repent of our sins. A man is in the stage of coming out of the darkness when he is prepared to say, I am a sinner. The greatest fault with Christianity in the Western world, in America, and in the rest of the world, is that it is not based, generally speaking, upon an abhorrence of sin and an open and free confession of sin. Over the years, I've had many church members say to me, I can never, never say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pastor, but it's not in my culture. It's against my masculinity. It's against my culture to say that I am a sinner. I cannot do this. Then I say to them, then enjoy this life because you will have none other. Here is a man in darkness. Why is he in darkness? Because of sin. How does he get out of darkness? By saying, I am a sinner. And casting himself not upon the merits of his own good works, but upon the merits of Christ. And then the great strong man says to him, you will no longer be called Jacob the heel, the deceiver, but Israel which is the Hebrew word that means he struggles with God. That's what Israel means. He struggles with God and he struggles with God and he prevails because he trusts in mercy. Therefore, listen carefully to these wonderful, marvelous words. God, out of sheer grace and mercy, bestows forgiveness upon the repenting sinner. It is not by works, but simply by his grace. And that is why earlier today in the church service, as a scripture reading, we read those texts, the children read the texts from the book of Romans. 
There is no condemnation to the person who is in Christ Jesus. You see? No condemnation. The Bible says, who is he to condemn us? It is Christ who died, who has risen again from the dead. Nobody can condemn the child of God. This chapter that the children read starts with no condemnation, ends with no separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, tribulation, persecution, so nothing can separate the soul that holds on to God. Even in the midst of darkness. Listen carefully to this, my beloved friends. There is only one way to get out of the darkness and have a future that was filled with glorious expectation. It is through Christ. Oh, that God would empower me today to say words that would touch our hearts. Oh, that God would reveal himself today to teach us how salvation occurs. That it is not by our puny self-righteousness that doesn't count for anything, but it is simply by the grace and the mercy of God. Here is this stumbling sinner, this man who has broken the covenant, this man who has broken his father's heart, a man who has alienated his, his brother. Here he is facing the judgment in darkness, depressed and full of despair and the future holds no hopes for him. Until... God touches him. And God does not destroy him though he deserves it, but God forgives him and redeems him out of sheer mercy because he recognizes that he is Jacob. I ask you today in the fear of the Lord, do you, my brother, my sister, my friend, do you know, do we know, I am Jacob? Virtually every problem can be solved when people say, I am Jacob. I read a little while ago, Muhammad Ali talking, giving a talk, and this was recorded, published in the Reader's Digest, where he said, if you want to get to heaven, you must make sure that the good deeds are more frequent than the bad deeds. He said in the judgment, God is going to have a big scale. And he'll take the good deeds, he'll take the bad deeds. If you've got more bad deeds than good deeds, you're done for. But if you've got a few more good deeds than bad deeds, you'll get in. That's the teaching of Islam. But the teaching of the gospel is this, that I am Jacob, and nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And God does not destroy repenting Jacob because Jacob trusts in the mercy of God. So this is to teach us that we can never do anything of its own merit that will commend us to God. That we can only be saved by the undiluted mercy of God. And of course this doctrine is exceedingly unpopular with the Pharisee and the carnal heart because it strikes at our self-righteousness. And so Jacob standing with no condemnation, with separation at all. I want you to take your Bibles and read one of those texts in the book of Romans. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And some would say that this is the high point of the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. 
Little wonder this book has been called by Tyndale, good, glad, and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. This is the way, my friend, to have a happy new year and to have a happy life. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Before you were born, God saw you. Can you believe this? Can you believe that you have been called? The difference between a believer and a non-believer in the church or in the world is over this belief that I'm called. I'm called by God before I was born, he saw me. Then the Bible says, he called them and he justified them. Jacob was justified when he said, I am Jacob and clung to the mercy of God. Justification is the act of the grace of God because of the cross of Jesus, whereby he freely forgives all of our sins. Please read on with me. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. I want to ask you today, do you know that you're called? Do you know it? The Bible says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can know that you're a child of God. You can know that you're a child of God because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me read you. The poet, the hymn writer said, Plenteous grace with thee is found, grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound, make and keep me pure within. Thou of life the fountain art, freely let me take of thee, spring thereup within my heart, rise to all eternity. Happy New Year, new life, new opportunity. How does it happen? Would you please come back to Genesis and notice how the story ends? It happens through an, a divine encounter with the mighty wrestler. Genesis 32. Verse 29 and onwards, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Peniel means the face of God. He saw the face of God. And verse 31 says, the sun rose above him as he passed the face of God, Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The story starts with a man in darkness, with a man full of despair, with a man without any hope, with a man facing an uncertain future, and the Bible ends up with a man who was marvelously blessed and he has touched the face of God. Saved by grace. No longer called Jacob, but Israel. One of my favorite poems is the poem that was written by the old cynic. You may remember the story. 
of a young couple who were concerned about this old man who lived in an apartment nearby, an old unbeliever, an old cynic. And the young father went along and he talked to the man and the man said, get out of here and take that old Bible with you. The young man went home and told his wife the story. Take your old Bible with you. His little girl listened. She had received for her birthday a new Bible. So she went and knocked on the man's door and said, my daddy says that you don't want his old Bible, but maybe you'll have my new one. The old man started to read the Bible. He was an old man like Jacob, an old man going out into darkness. And he wrote this poem that they found on his dressing room table after his funeral. I've tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, the Bible says, is ever only Jesus. My soul is night, my heart is steel. I cannot see, I cannot feel. For life, for light, I must appeal in simple faith to Jesus. He died, he lives, he reigns, he pleads. There's love in all his words and deeds. There's all our guilty sinner needs forevermore in Jesus. Though some should sneer, and some should blame. I'll go with all my guilt and shame. I'll go to him because his name, above all names, is Jesus. That's how you have the sun rising on you, out of the darkness, into the light. It's become a little tradition of mine this time every year to tell you the story of King George. The present queen is the daughter of King George. And London was burning, being attacked by the Nazis every night. And some nights all you would see would be the cross of St. Paul's Cathedral up silhouetted against the skies. Thousands in London were being bombed and thousands were dying. This was the battle for Britain their finest hour. That winter was a cold, desolate winter. Thousands had died. Tens of thousands had been bombed out of their homes. Innocent people, the Nazis, were bombing the civilians, trying to break their spirit. Little did they know that they were arousing the line. And that Christmas, the king came on. He talked to the people like a father, soothing his children. And then he said, he quoted the words of the verse, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tra tread safely into the unknown. And he said, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to thee better than light and safer than a known way. But the good news of the gospel is better than the poem because there you have a man going out into the darkness. The good news of the gospel is that when you go out into the darkness, and put your hand to the hand of the almighty God, the sun comes up, the darkness goes, and the sun rises. Therefore, my friends, happy new year. Let us kneel as we pray.
Our Father, we thank you today that even though we've all sinned and our name is Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the sinner, because sin takes many different manifestations, we thank you that nothing can touch the soul that admits its guilt and hangs on to God and says, because of your mercy, forgive me. We thank you that you can take a world that is in darkness and by your marvelous grace, chase away the darkness so that the sun rises upon the redeemed sinner even though he may be limping, he is redeemed nevertheless. And he has seen the face of God. And the face of God is a face of marvelous love, marvelous goodness. Help us to know today that the God whom we worship and the God whom we serve is a God of amazing love, a God of justice and a God of righteousness, but a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. Teach us, our Father, if we do not know you, teach us to know ourselves that we might struggle that we might find you and that in finding you we will find sunlight and joy and no condemnation but everlasting life. May these words, the poor words of a sinful man saved by grace, sink down into every heart today that we will know that the sun has risen upon us and that our names are no longer Jacob but Israel because we have struggled with God and prevailed through Jesus Christ. Bless these people today as we're praying in our church with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. How many will raise a hand and say, I freely today confess that I am Jacob and I ask for the mercy and the forgiveness and the redeeming grace of God. Can you raise your hand if you can say that today? I am Jacob, but I freely confess my sins and I ask for the mercy of God. And today my father Grant that we will call this place Peniel because today we have seen the face of God. Give us today your joy that we do not find by searching for. It is a byproduct of a right relationship with you. Grant us your joy and your peace and your life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord, and for his sake, amen and amen.